Hello and welcome back to Nerdy Reads, a classic podcast for my mother. She read to me when I was little, so now I'm returning the favour and you're welcome to listen along. It's Thursday and that means I'm reading something offbeat. Sundays are for classics, but whatever I'm reading, it's always great writing. Tonight, I am reading about a historical villain, a truly hated figure, and for good reason. Long-time listeners will recall episode three of season one of the pod, about the Salem witch trials, where I covered horrible Reverend Cotton Mather, the Puritan who believed in witches and warlocks and the devil, instead of just the evil of bored teenage girls. Cotton Mather is a bad guy of history, capital B, capital G, except, except that Cotton Mather is responsible for the adoption of inoculation against smallpox in America. Yes, the bad guy. He saved more lives than his crazy witch hunting ever took. Who knew? Not me until I started researching for tonight's episode. I'm reading the opening chapter of a very curious book called The Story of a Great Delusion in a series of -of matter-of-fact chapters by William White, an Englishman, published in 1885. I have not been able to find much information about him, but his work, while it isn't a classic, is very well written. And it happens to be about vaccines which is something every one of us has become all too familiar with for the past couple of years. The book is about what White considers the delusion about smallpox vaccines. We all know the story about eradicating smallpox. Edward Jenner, English gentleman physician of the 18th century, notices that milkmaids who contract cowpox from all their milking of the cows never contract smallpox. He wrote about it in his self-published pamphlet called An Inquiry into the Causes and Effects of Variole Vaccinae, a disease discovered in some western counties of England, particularly Gloucestershire, and known by the name of the cowpox. Quite the title. Jenner worked on inoculation by using, and I'm sorry what follows is disgusting, by using cowpox pus by which I mean give somebody a dose of cowpox pus by inserting it under their skin and that person will get sick but not too sick and they won't contract the killer smallpox. Inoculation successful. William White considered Edward Jenner a charlatan, in it for the money, and he considered that Jenner's vaccines were not nearly as effective or safe as advertised, and he really didn't approve of making them compulsory. No mandates for him. He was railing against the narrative. Sound familiar? History repeats, folks. But I'm not here to talk about vaccinations and whether they're efficacious. White has written quite the devastating takedown of Jenner, but my interest is in the Cotton Mather angle. So you might ask, what has Cotton Mather got to do with all of this? Well, Cotton Mather was a fellow of the Royal Society of London for Improving Natural Knowledge, 
the Royal Society, still going strong today. Their motto is nullius in verba, meaning take no one's word for it. Or to put it another way, don't take anyone's word, just do your own research and get to the truth. The Royal Society was around from the 17th century, and they published a collection of works each year called Philosophical Transactions. And in the 1714 edition was a letter from Constantinople detailing local inoculation therapy against smallpox, which had apparently been successfully practiced there for over 40 years. Cotton Mather read that letter when he got his edition of Philosophical Transaction, and he was delighted because he lost three children to measles and his second wife. He knew what a deadly disease looked like and how it could be transmitted and the devastation it could cause. Smallpox hadn't broken out in Boston for over 10 years, but Mather remembered its early outbreaks too. So Mather was up with inoculation from 1714, and he was all for it. Here's how William White, whoever he was, puts it in his book, The Story of a Great Delusion. And just before I start, a word of apology to Nudie Reads fans in Turkey. White was, well, shall we say, an Englishman of his time, opinionated and snobby. He was also a 19th century precursor of that meme, you know, the one of a guy sitting in front of his laptop at night, someone's being wrong on the internet and I have to correct it. White was like that guy. In fact, I'd say he was probably on the spectrum. Or, as fabulous American comedian Theo Vaughn would say, touch of the tism about William White. But that's just me. You be the judge, listeners. Let's begin. There are few matters among educated people upon which opinion is so absolute and so ill-informed as vaccination. They will tell you it has stopped smallpox and does no harm, and if you venture to question either assertion, you are set down as an abettor of, quote, those ignorant and fanatical anti-vaccinators, close quote. If, undeterred, you inquire when smallpox was stopped and which is the harmless variety of vaccination, you will probably be told that these are medical questions, while the facts are indisputable. I am not complaining of this attitude of mind. We all accept more or less on bare authority. In the multiplicity and unsearchableness of knowledge, it is unavoidable. Some years ago, a venerable friend urged me to write against vaccination, which he said was working endless mischief to the public health. He would have the book published and provide whatever was requisite for my satisfaction. I pleaded prior engagements and turned the conversation, thinking how sad it was that one so good, and in other respects so enlightened, should be subject to so strange an illusion. I then taking vaccination on trust as one of the numerous blessings conferred upon mankind in the course of the present century. I am therefore disposed to make large allowance for the credulous attitude of the public toward vaccination whilst at the same time insisting on its correction. And for this reason especially, 
that vaccination is no longer a matter of private concern. We are free to entertain what notions we please, but if we proceed to enforce them on unbelievers, we cannot complain if we are required to answer for our aggression or encounter rough usage. Enforced by the law of England, vaccination is related to the life and intelligence of every citizen, and it is consequently vain to claim for it exemption from vulgar discussion. Apart from its compulsory infliction, vaccination might be, and remain, an esoteric rite, the very mystery of mysteries, but with compulsion, the privilege of sanctity is impossible. Chapter 1 To the Turks we owe little, and in the little is included the practice of inducing smallpox artificially. The practice was first brought under English attention by Emmanuel Timoni in a letter dated Constantinople, December 1713, communicated to the Royal Society by Dr. Woodward and published in the Society's Transactions for 1714. About the same time, Pilarini, Venetian consul at Smyrna, described the practice in a Latin pamphlet printed at Venice, 1715, and reproduced in the Philosophical Transactions for 1716. Mr. Kennedy, an English surgeon who had visited Turkey, also reported the practice under the designation of, quote, engrafting the smallpox. End quote. Timoni was a Greek physician who had studied at Oxford and Padua and then established himself in Constantinople. He described smallpox by incision as having been practiced in Constantinople for 40 years and that it had been found uniformly successful in warding off smallpox as naturally developed. The smallpox matter was usually taken from healthy boys suffering from the spontaneous disease and was applied to persons of all ages and temperaments, causing them no more than temporary and trifling inconvenience. The only preparation requisite for incision was abstinence from flesh and broth for 20 or 25 days. It so happened that when Dr. Woodward read Timoni's letter to the Royal Society, he at the same time produced a selection from the correspondence of Cotton Mather of Boston, Massachusetts. A curious jumble of facts and fancies. Mather had been elected a Fellow of the Society, and the selections from his correspondence and Timoni's letter appeared in the same number of the transactions in 1714. Cotton Mather is one of the marvels of biography, a choice specimen of Puritanism developed without check. He was a man of boundless energy and incessant industry, of intense piety and unlimited self-confidence, and thus, without hesitation, he set himself to extirpate witchcraft, shrinking from no atrocity until the frightful Salem tragedy of 1692 shocked the colony into mercy and common sense. Mather was just the sort of character to be impressed with Timoni's description of the short and easy way with smallpox. And he who had hanged warlocks and witches with sublime assurance 
was not likely to have scruples about inoculating the community when inwardly satisfied it was for the public good. The audacity and tyranny of conscientious conceit are proverbial. He had, however, to exercise patience in awaiting an opportunity to test the Turkish remedy, for there had been no smallpox in Boston for 19 years, a fact worth noting by those who imagined smallpox was an omnipresent ailment until the advent of Edward Jenner. In 1721, a serious outbreak occurred, the deaths rising in October to 100 a week in a population of 15,000. Mather convoked a meeting of physicians and laid before them the new prescription, but they would not listen to it. Dr. Zabdiel Boylston, however, was persuaded and inoculated two of his slaves, and then his sons, aged five and six whereon he was summoned before the justices and severely reprimanded. Undeterred by the state and supported by the church, he persevered and by the end of September had inoculated 80 and by the middle of December, 250. His custom was to make a couple of incisions in the arms into which bits of lint dipped in pox matter were inserted. At the end of 24 hours, the lint was withdrawn and the wounds dressed with warm cabbage leaves. On the seventh day, the patient sickened, and pustules appeared, sometimes few, sometimes hundreds. Mather and Boylston maintained it was a most wholesome operation, for after it, quote, feeble, crazy, consumptive people grew hearty and got rid of their former maladies, end quote. To be poxed was to be rejuvenated. Cotton Mather's own account of the Boston experiment is worth reading. He wrote, quote, The distemper hath lately visited and ransacked the city of Boston, and in little more than half a year, of more than 5,000 persons that have undergone it, nearly 900 have died. But how many lives might have been saved if our unhappy physicians had not poisoned and bewitched our people with a blind rage that it has appeared very like a satanic possession against the method of relief and safety in the way of smallpox inoculated? I have prevailed with one physician, and for it I have had bloody attempts made upon my life by some of my countrymen. To introduce the practice and the experiment has been made upon almost 300 objects in our neighbourhood, young and old, from one year to 70, weak and strong, male and female, white and black, in midsummer, autumn and winter, and it succeeds to admiration. I cannot learn that one has died of it, though the experiment has been made under various and marvellous disadvantages. Five or six have died upon it or after it, but from other diseases or accidents, chiefly from having taken infection in the common way, by inspiration, before it could be given in this way, by transplantation. We have many among us who have been visited with the plague in other countries many years ago, who have never been arrested with smallpox after it, though they have been exposed as much as any other people to it. 
whence the belief now begins to prevail among us that they who have had the plague will never have the smallpox after it. End quote. Considering the developed evidence that awaits us as to the character and results of inoculation, it would be superfluous to discuss this singular report, but we may remark the consummate audacity with which Mather assumes and maintains his position. What a masterly touch of the quack have we in these words. Quote, I cannot learn that one has died of it. Five or six have died upon it or after it, but from other diseases or accidents. End quote. We can readily understand how the hand that gave so adroit a turn to awkward disasters could in other days frame irresistible indictments for witchcraft. The narratives of Mather and Boylston are of special importance because we have in them the true lineage of inoculation as introduced from the Eastern to the Western world. Boylston tells us that when smallpox appeared in Boston, quote, Dr. Mather, in compassion to the lives of the people, transcribed from the philosophical transactions of the Royal Society the accounts sent to them by Dr. Timonius and Pylarinus of inoculating the smallpox in the Levant and sent them to the practitioners of the town for their consideration thereon. End quote. For some inscrutable reason, the true position of Cotton Mather in the history of inoculation is continually overlooked or misstated. For instance, in Mather's biography in the excellent English Encyclopedia, it is said that he derived his information and impulse from the letters of Lady Mary Wortley Montague, a statement repeated in the memoirs of that lady which is entirely fabulous. It is clear he derived it from the philosophical transactions of the Royal Society. And that's where we'll leave it tonight. Some great writing about Cotton Mather and his role in the adoption of inoculation in Boston in the early 18th century. The author, William White, is doing his level best to correct the record and slay what he perceives as a great delusion. I've only read you the opening chapter. The book is lengthy and goes into incredible detail about Edward Jenner and about how the smallpox vaccine came into creation. And all the way along, William White attempts to correct the record, like a snippy King Canute trying to hold back the tide of information about vaccines. They were popular, and there's nothing that William White could do about it. But today we can say that Cotton Mather was an early and enthusiastic adopter of inoculation in Boston, and because of him, in 1721, and at other times, when there were smallpox breakouts, many Bostonians survived who might not have done so. Is this enough to rehabilitate Cotton Mather's witch-hunting reputation? Probably not. But if he was 100% bad guy before this podcast, I'd say maybe now he's 99% bad. So, so with that bit of historical healing, I'll say, okay, I'll be back 
on Sunday, 9pm Sydney time with a classic. And I wish you all a great rest of the week. Do keep sharing the pod with friends and family who love great writing and the words of the past. And till next time, take care. It's slippery out there. And thanks for listening to Nitty Reads. Nitty Reads.